Hello! Welcome to the Healthy Habits Happy Home Podcast, hosted by the Guelph Family Health Study. If you're interested in the most recent research and helpful tips for healthy, balanced living for you and your family, then this podcast is for you. In each episode, we will bring you topics that are important to your growing family and guests who will share their expertise and experience with you. Our quick tips will help your family build healthy habits for a happy home. Welcome back to the Healthy Habits Happy Homes podcast. I'm Tamara. And I'm Marcy Ann. And today we're excited to have Alyssa Ramasak join us. Alyssa is a research registered dietitian at Sick Kids Research Institute. Today she is here to talk to us about celiac disease. To get us started, can you tell us a bit about yourself, your current role, and how your education and experiences led you to where you are now? Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm so excited to be here. As Tamara said, my name is Alyssa Ramusak. I'm a research registered dietitian at SickKids Hospital with the Child Health Evaluative Science Department. I'm also a recent graduate of the University of Guelph's Masters of Science in Applied Human Nutrition program, where I completed my thesis on comparing the perceptions and opinions of the 2007 and 2019 Cannes Food Guide among parents from the Guelph Family Health Study. I'm still quite new to my role at SickKids and started in July 2022. But in my position as a research registered dietitian, I work closely with the Children's Celiac Clinic team, where I develop online educational resources for sick kids about Kids Health Celiac Disease Hub and support research activities on celiac disease self-management skills. This position truly blends all my passions together, and I'm fortunate that my academic journey has provided me with the skill set to work in this environment. For example, I'm able to hone in on my communication skills that I acquired during my Master's of Health Science and Nutrition Communication program from Toronto Met University, my research and critical appraisal skills that I developed from my Master's of Science at the University of Guelph, and also my knowledge translation skills, which I had the opportunity to further refine through the University of Guelph's Certificate in Knowledge Translation program. Wow, it's so great to have you on to give us some background for our podcast today. Can you explain what celiac disease is? Yeah, of course. So celiac disease is an autoimmune condition in which any contact with a protein known as gluten, which is found in grains like wheat, barley, and rye, triggers a reaction from the body's defense system, otherwise known as our immune system. So When people have celiac disease, the lining of their small intestine becomes damaged by this immune system reaction to gluten. So specifically, it damages these hair-like projectiles in our small intestine called villi. And villi play a really important role in our digestive system. It helps with increasing the surface area of our intestine, making the absorption of important nutrients from food like iron and vitamin D possible. However, when these long villi are damaged, they become blunted and short, which makes it really hard for the body to get those important nutrients. What are the signs and symptoms of celiac? So celiac disease is recognized as a multi-symptom and multi-system disorder, with the type of symptoms and severity of symptoms varying widely. So although we have traditionally thought that digestive symptoms like tummy aches, cramping, diarrhea, constipation, bloating, vomiting, and a decreased appetite as being kind of those classic signs and symptoms of celiac disease, 
data suggests that less than 50% of newly diagnosed patients will present with such symptoms. Mm. And, you know, due to damage that happens in the small intestine and poor nutrient absorption, people may also experience symptoms like fatigue, anemia, vitamin or mineral deficiency. And with children and teens, there may be poor growth and delayed puberty. Beyond those digestive symptoms, people with celiac disease can experience symptoms that affect their mental health, like headaches, difficulty concentrating, depression, anxiety, irritability or mood swings. They may also develop skin rashes, brittle nails, mouth sores, tooth enamel defects, and they may also experience joint pain in a low bone density. And then conversely, some people with celiac disease don't experience any symptoms at all. So you can imagine with this huge range in signs and symptoms, sometimes it can be tricky for people to kind of land on that diagnosis of celiac disease. Yeah, for sure. Just like you said, it, it being so varied, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, that it could go to, to having no symptoms to, to more severe ones. Mm-hmm. Are there any specific population groups who are more at risk for developing celiac disease? Yeah, so in Canada, it's estimated that 1% of our population, or roughly 350,000 Canadians, have celiac disease. However, research suggests that close to 90% of those Canadians are undiagnosed. There are some population groups where that risk of developing celiac disease is much higher. So since there is a genetic component to celiac disease, people who have a first-degree relative with celiac disease, like a parent, child, or sibling, they have a 4 to 15% chance higher of getting or developing celiac disease. There's also certain chromosomal conditions like Down syndrome or Turner syndrome, or people who already have an autoimmune condition like type 1 diabetes, who also have a higher risk of developing celiac disease. If parents are noticing the signs and symptoms that we've discussed that may point to celiac disease, what does the diagnosis look like and and what are the steps that should be taken? Yeah, so if your child is experiencing symptoms of celiac disease or you suspect that your child may have celiac disease, it's important that you see your primary care provider to get screened. It's also very important during this time that your child continues to eat foods with gluten. In order for this screening process to be accurate, we need to be eating gluten. So the first step is that your primary care provider or doctor will order a blood test to screen for celiac disease. So these blood tests look for immune proteins, also known as antibodies, that the body makes in response to gluten. So one immune protein in particular that our celiac disease team looks at and monitors is something called an anti-tissue transglutamase antibody, or TTG for short. So again, that's why it's really important to continue to eat gluten, because if you remove gluten from the diet, the body doesn't produce those immune proteins, and then your blood test ends up coming back as being normal. And then, you know, once when we get those results, and depending on the results of that blood test, your child's healthcare provider may order something called an upper endoscopy, which confirms the diagnosis of celiac disease. So an endoscope is a procedure where a gastroenterologist, a digestive specialist, inserts a thin flexible tube with the camera on the end into the mouth and then down the esophagus to look at the small intestine. They'll also take a small piece of the small intestine, which is called a biopsy, so that they can look under a microscope and see if that villi is damaged. And then, you know, once when all those um, screenings have been done and uh, your child receives a diagnosis of celiac disease, 
that is when a gluten-free diet can be started. Excellent and comprehensive kind of background overview of celiac disease. It really helps set the stage for the podcast. So thank you so much for sharing all of that. Thank you. And yeah, you were kind of explaining about the gluten-free diet. You just kind of mentioned that there. So once this diagnosis of celiac disease has been made, what dietary changes are needed? Mm -hmm. Yeah, currently the only treatment for celiac disease is a strict lifelong gluten-free diet. And unfortunately, there are no cures or medications for celiac disease at this time. Hopefully with more research, though, we'll see something in the future. But Following the gluten-free diet is important to help with reducing those symptoms and preventing other chronic conditions that can occur with celiac disease, like osteoporosis, infertility, and some types of cancers. The good news is, though, following a gluten-free diet reduces the risk of developing these chronic conditions to the exact same levels as the general population. But during this time of being newly diagnosed, it's important that you see a registered dietitian who specializes in celiac disease as they can help with starting that gluten-free diet. I think in theory, the gluten-free diet may seem relatively straightforward. You know, remove all sources of gluten from the diet, that being wheat, barley, and rye. But there's a lot of nuances to it that people do not realize, like learning to read labels and ingredient lists, understanding claims, and avoiding gluten cross-contact. So of course, you know, there are very obvious sources of gluten in your diet, like the wheat-based breads, pastas, and baked goods. But there's also a lot of hidden ingredients, like malt extract or brewer's yeast, that can be added to things like chocolate, soup, salad, dressings, and ice creams. And then we also have non-food products that contain gluten, like hand creams, shampoos, supplements, and art and craft supplies like Play-Doh and paints. And although gluten doesn't, you know, penetrate our skin, uh, gluten cross-contact can still occur when a child puts their hands on their mouth or nose or touches the food that they eat after with a product that they just touched with uh, gluten in it. And then another piece of kind of following that gluten-free diet is uh, gluten cross-contact. So some people also refer to it as cross-contamination. And that's when gluten is transferred from one food or object to another food or object, making it unsafe for someone with celiac disease. And gluten cross-contact can happen at many different points in our food system, like when food is manufactured. So for example, although pure oats are naturally gluten-free, they tend to be grown in the same fields as gluten-containing grains like barley, wheat, and rye. So this leads to gluten cross-contact, making it unsafe for someone with celiac disease. Gluten cross-contact can also happen when foods are packaged. So you've likely seen allergen claims on packaged foods that say something along the lines of processed in a facility that also handles wheat. And then lastly, uh, gluten cross-contact can happen when food is prepared, whether that's inside or outside of the home, like at a restaurant. So some examples may be preparing gluten-free foods on the same cutting board that prepared gluten-containing foods, putting your gluten-free foods on a barbecue grill that toasted gluten-containing hamburger buns, using the same gluten-containing pasta water for gluten-free pasta, or deep-frying french fries in the same fryer that fried gluten-containing foods like battered fish. So I'm just kind of, you know, scratching the surface here, but there are many things that people need to be aware of when following a strict gluten-free diet to avoid symptoms and prevent that small intestine damage. Thank you for sharing all of that. Wow. It just, 
brought back some memories of I used to work at a summer camp in the kitchen and we had an allergy kitchen for those who did have uh, celiac and and other digestive um, disorders and so it was like uh, we had to be very very strict about what went in the kitchen even like when we were going in and out make sure that our hands were properly washed and Mm -hmm. that we weren't coming to accidentally contaminate the food it was just very strict, but I think getting to talk to two people who had celiac, it, it was like, well, this is kind of, this is for my health. And so it just kind of uh, showed the seriousness of taking into consideration like common cross contaminants and, and, and even just seeing how much gluten is in a lot of things. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And it is quite a lot of work. But, you know, as you mentioned, it's, it has to be taken seriously um, because it is for those individuals' health. With that, there is a lot of traction around eating gluten-free and it being even promoted in the health and fitness spaces, regardless of if an individual has been diagnosed with celiac disease or not. So is it appropriate to follow a gluten-free diet if an individual does not have celiac disease? That's a great question. Now, as a dietitian, I do know a lot of people who follow a gluten-free diet because they find it helps them feel better. And with that, I would just encourage people to explore why that may be. You know, maybe there's something underlying like celiac disease or irritable bowel syndrome, in which case seeing your doctor, receiving a diagnosis and working with a dietitian would be very helpful. But you are right in the sense that in the past few years, the gluten-free diet and gluten-free products have just exploded among the health and fitness space. And there's often this misconception that gluten-free is healthier. It has what we call a health halo, which is kind of this perception that a food or product is healthier or better for us when there really is very little evidence or factual evidence to support this. But the reality is following a gluten-free diet means you're cutting out a lot of foods like whole grains that are high in fiber and important vitamins and minerals like B vitamins. And gluten-free products, they tend to not be very nutrient dense. They're often high in fat, sugar, and simple carbohydrates, and low in fiber and vitamin and minerals. These products are also not fortified like a lot of our gluten-containing products. So with that being said, if there isn't a diagnosed medical reason to be following a gluten-free diet, then people really shouldn't be following one. Yeah, definitely. As a dietitian myself, I've also seen that a lot, like claims of following the gluten-free diet because uh, Mm -hmm. they feel better. And I think it's just so important, like you mentioned, to kind of investigate that further, you know, with the help of your primary care physician or with the dietitian, because there really is that idea, like the concept of the health halo, as you mentioned, it's really just stressing that a gluten-free diet is not necessarily a healthier diet than, you know, an average diet, a diet that does contain gluten in the absence of celiac disease. Yeah. So thank you for really stressing that point. Yeah. And it's also very expensive too. Like a lot of those gluten-free products cost an arm and a leg. So if there's no need to be following it, then, you know, we shouldn't be following it. Yeah, for sure. And especially with the, the way that the cost of food is rising as well, that, that makes it more challenging mm-hmm. as well. That's a really good point. And as you were mentioning um, earlier, all of the different skills that are that are required having celiac disease and, and eating a gluten-free diet, it can be very difficult to navigate. You know, the skills that you kind of mentioned earlier, like label reading and, you know, how to eat out at restaurants to prevent like cross-contamination and, and all of that. So are there any helpful resources out there that families can access or take part in if they have a child or family member that's living with celiac disease? 
Of course. So if your child may have celiac disease, there are a couple of pediatric celiac disease clinics in Ontario made up of an interdisciplinary team of gastroenterologists, dietitians, nurses, mental health professionals, so sick kids being one of them, and also Hamilton Health Science. There's also an adult celiac disease clinic at McMaster University. These programs do require referrals, so it's important to speak with your primary care provider to get that process started. For more general information on celiac disease, I've mentioned Sick Kids About Kids Health website, which is an excellent resource for all things health and well-being for children, teens, and families. Specifically, we have a celiac disease learning hub where kids and parents can participate in interactive modules that provide information on celiac disease and the gluten-free diet. There's also supporting resources on topics like eating out and mindful meditation for celiac disease. In the near future, uh, we're hoping to have more resources about self-advocacy while living with celiac disease, how to navigate the learning environment and summer camps, and also resources for adults who play a special role in children and teens' lives, like grandparents, teachers, childcare workers, and camp counselors. Another really great resource is the Canadian Celiac Association, who not only provide excellent educational resources and updates on the latest research, but also fiercely advocate for people with celiac disease. So they've really been at the forefront of increasing celiac disease awareness and improving food safety for people living with celiac disease. That's that's amazing. It's great to know that there's a wealth of evidence-based information and resources out there about celiac disease. For sure. So the holidays are coming up. So how does someone with celiac disease navigate family or friend gatherings when they have very specific dietary restrictions to consider? Mm -hmm. Yeah, celebrating a special holiday that's centered around family gatherings and shared meals may bring about feelings of worry and overwhelm, especially if you've been newly diagnosed with celiac disease. Some tips for navigating the holidays with celiac disease and a strict gluten-free diet include, you know, focusing on gluten-free and non-food related activities leading up to a holiday to make it special for your child. So for example, enjoying family traditions, decorating your home for the holidays, baking gluten-free treats, or doing holiday crafts. If you are a parent with a young child, it's important to have ongoing conversations to manage expectations on the day of a holiday. So you may want to come up with a plan with your child about how to navigate that holiday and brainstorm ways to overcome difficult situations like accidentally being served a gluten-containing dish. Another tip is to prepare in advance of celebrating a holiday with family or friends. You may want to offer to host a holiday meal to ensure that there are safe gluten-free options for your child. If your family or friend is planning to host a meal, offering to bring one or two gluten-free dishes so that your child has options to choose from. You may want to also call and speak to the host ahead of time so that you can ask questions about how the food will be prepared and served and to help educate them on gluten cross-contact. You know, some holiday foods that people may not be aware of include turkey stuffing. So if gluten-containing stuffing is put in a turkey, the turkey is then no longer safe for someone with celiac disease. Other items are things like prepackaged gravy mixes, which often use wheat flour as a thickening agent. And sometimes spices or seasonings will contain gluten, so it's important to read the labels. 
Other tips that can help make the day of the holiday easier and avoid gluten cross-contact could be things like putting the gluten-free dishes on a different table away from gluten-containing dishes, having a separate and dedicated butter dish and other condiments like jams for gluten-free foods, having the gluten-free foods passed around the table first before the gluten-containing, or using different color plates or toothpick flags, stickers, or place cards to differentiate between gluten-free and gluten-containing dishes. And then lastly, I think it's also important to protect your child's well-being on the day of the holiday. You know, family members or friends may not fully grasp the severity of celiac disease and understand the importance of following a strict gluten-free diet. Although well-intentioned efforts may come from a place of love and inclusivity, it can sometimes be a source of stress for your child and family too. So if you notice that your child is becoming overwhelmed with having to navigate the holidays with celiac disease, be there just to support and validate their feelings. Ask them what they need from you to feel better or offer to take them to a quiet space to regroup. Yeah, thank you for sharing all those great tips. I feel like you've really done an, an excellent job of acknowledging like the feelings of worry and overwhelm mm-hmm. and stress and all those things that can go along. I mean, with the holidays in general, but especially when you've got this other um, aspect, this dietary restriction of having to eat gluten-free to consider as well. So it's really important mm-hmm. to stress that families aren't alone. And some of the tips you shared, like the, uh, the dedicated, you know, condiments just for gluten-free and different colors to differentiate passing around, you know, the gluten-free stuff first, like all these things to prevent cross-contamination. And then also just, you know, protecting well-being and having that open relationship where you can talk about some of the stresses and worries really just helps. I think the holidays, especially in these situations, if it's new, just be way less stressful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, also just being kind and gentle with yourself. There are likely going to be, you know, hiccups the first time celebrating a holiday with uh, celiac disease or when you're following a strict dietary requirement. So just remembering to be kind and gentle yourself is really important as well. I love that. Yeah, that's that's so perfectly said. It is always important to give yourselves grace. Mm hmm. An important aspect that's often kind of forgotten about when we're talking about the impact of chronic autoimmune conditions like celiac disease is with mental health. So what are the effects of dietary restrictions on mental health? Yeah, that's a really important question. And I appreciate that you guys have asked this question. I think we often forget that food and eating are much more than just satisfying our hunger and obtaining the nutrients our body needs to function. The act of eating is also a social event and is used as a vehicle for celebrations and family gatherings. And for someone with celiac disease, following a strict gluten-free diet can be very burdensome and socially isolating as it requires more care and consideration into planning what to eat. As you can imagine, some of the things we enjoy doing for fun, like going out to dinner with friends or traveling the world, that can all be impacted by celiac disease and having to make sure that you have safe foods to eat. Research has also noted that people who strictly follow a gluten-free diet often report a lower quality of life. So while most people may feel relieved when they first receive a diagnosis of celiac disease, as it finally provides some answers to the symptoms that they have been experiencing, at that six-month follow-up mark, those quality of life scores decrease as people with celiac disease have to navigate following a strict diet with less food choices and expensive gluten-free products having to put in double the work to remain vigilant and avoid gluten when eating, 
And then there's also this need to have to constantly explain their condition and gluten-free diet due to the lack of awareness and knowledge of celiac disease. So this is all to say that a strict gluten-free diet can bring about a lot of emotions and feelings, some of which are things like anger, fear, anxiety, grief, and sadness. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like you said, like the act of eating is such a social event, right? And and there's so much mm-hmm. that goes into it. So it is important to acknowledge some of those feelings that we might feel and acknowledge the the burden that sometimes is associated with this and just always being kind and giving yourself grace. Yes, of course. Yeah. It's reminding me of uh, someone I knew in undergrad who had celiac and just navigating, you know, food is so central to like a lot of our social gatherings. And while like me and my other friends would be like super excited seeing like the spread that's there and excited that we don't have to be like hangry anymore, just to kind of see see their face and how they had to ask, like, mm-hmm. where was this food prepared? Like, how, what what is in, you know, even this this chili? or or this soup um, to make sure that they weren't getting any cross-contamination or them just having to bring their own little lunchbox and snack to a gathering. And it's good that they're getting nourished, but there is some of that like feeling excluded. Like I can't have what other people have. And I remember just asking them how like they navigate dietary restrictions because I think me on a very lesser note had to (laughs) stick to a certain way of eating for a a a short amount of time and so I asked them how do you navigate this because I was even starting to feel like sad and they were like I mean sometimes you just have to cry and sometimes you just have Mm -hmm. to acknowledge that it's really hard and that broke my heart because it's like this is something that they were are gonna have to consider you know for for the rest of their life and so um, I think it's just good that we are acknowledging the mental health aspect and that it, it it's really hard it can be really hard Yeah. And that's something that we try to talk about too, the importance of self-advocacy. At the end of the day, it is for your health and for your well-being. And you have to advocate for yourself for that reason. Definitely. Like, what are some ways that people can overcome these barriers that we've discussed? Yeah, I, I... I kind of struggle with that question in the sense that I think there are these big system things that we have to put in place to help kind of support people with celiac disease. So I think bringing more knowledge and awareness to celiac disease is the step in the right direction. There has been an increase in available gluten-free products in grocery stores, which is great and allows individuals the ability to have choice. And I've even noticed that some restaurants will not only label certain dishes as gluten-friendly, but They'll also put warnings about the risk of gluten cross-contact or cross-contamination, which I think is also a huge step in the sense that I think that's a piece that a lot of people aren't aware of. But despite these positive changes, I think that there still needs to be a lot of work around awareness. Another piece that makes it very difficult on families and people living with celiac disease is the cost of gluten-free foods. It can be a huge financial barrier and can you know, in turn, be mentally taxing because people with celiac disease didn't choose to be gluten-free. And it is quite astonishing to see the price comparison between gluten-containing versus gluten-free foods. And although in Canada, we do have a tax credit that families can use, it is a lot of work. You know, just to give you an idea, families would have to keep track of all their grocery receipts whenever they bought gluten-free foods. 
And then they also have to keep track of a gluten-containing comparison so that they can get that price difference between the gluten-free and gluten-containing foods. But not only that, if you only have one person in, say, a family of four that has been diagnosed with celiac disease, and maybe you all eat from the same bread, you then have to quarter those prices because only the person living with celiac disease is eligible for that tax credit. So as you can imagine, it's a lot of work. And from what I hear at the clinic, most families choose not to just do the tax credit because of that. So I think there has to be a better way of financially supporting people with celiac disease. And I think in turn, that would help with improving quality of life. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think from what you're saying, it's really just important to acknowledge that it's not all on the individual at all. Like there are such systematic things that are in place that need to change um, and that we should be Mm -hmm. advocating for in order to make this easier with individuals that are and families that are living with celiac disease. Mm -hmm. For sure. And you mentioned too, like um, self-advocacy and kind of encouraging, you know, children or teens in that way. Like what does this self-advocacy kind of look like? Yeah, I think there's three kind of components to self-advocacy that we talk about One is asking questions. So I know Marcianne kind of mentioned in her story there that her friend would have to ask a lot of questions. That's a part of self-advocating for yourself. Um, Another piece of that is, you know, educating others. Um, A lot of people don't know about the gluten cross-contact part of things. So just educating people about what that looks like and how to prepare safe foods. That's another piece of self-advocacy. And the last piece there is just kind of protecting your well-being. You know, it's okay to say no to things that don't serve you. At the end of the day, it's for your health and well-being. So that's the last piece I think that's important to self-advocacy. No, those are all great tips. When uh, Tamara shared that question about self-advocacy and then you said that they were three pieces, I was like, wow, like there's so many layers to that. Mm -hmm. And I'm remembering my friend doing all of those things. (laughs) And so with that, you know, and again, just seeing that it's, it's not all on the on the individual to do things, how can family and friends support those who have celiac disease? I truly believe that knowledge is power. Becoming educated on celiac disease and the gluten-free diet can do wonders for supporting a loved one with celiac disease. So seeking out resources that I mentioned earlier is a great start, but also if your loved one with celiac disease is open to it, ask them questions about their gluten-free diet and what foods they enjoy so that you can show that you care. Also, keeping gluten-free foods on hand for when your loved one comes for a visit can also alleviate the stress on them having to plan and bring their own food. You may want to have a special shelf in your pantry with shelf-stable gluten-free foods like pasta, soups, crackers, or baked goods. Uh, You just want to make sure, though, that you store these items above the gluten-containing products to prevent gluten cross-contact. And lastly, just being there for your loved one by actively listening and validating their feelings can show that you care and support them. Managing a chronic condition and navigating a strict lifelong diet is hard, but having that social support can have a positive impact on a person's adherence to the gluten-free diet and also their overall quality of life. 
That's so true. We really can't underestimate that part, just the power of listening, right? And truly just being there for someone and giving them that safe space to share. Because as we've discussed throughout this podcast, you know, there are a lot of feelings, you know, of anxiety, of worry, of stress, you know, sometimes anger and things like that. So just having that safe space to do that, I think is really powerful as well. Yeah, for sure. So to close out the podcast, we like to give families three take-home tips. So what are three take-home tips you can share with our listeners who may have noticed some symptoms and be wondering if their child has celiac disease? Yeah, I think just to wrap things all up, my first tip would be if your child is is experiencing symptoms of celiac disease or you suspect that your child may have celiac disease, it's important to see your primary care provider to get screening done. And we have to remember that we have to continue to eat foods with gluten during this time so that you receive accurate results. And even if you're hundred, you're not 100% sure if it's celiac disease, it doesn't hurt to rule things out as well. I will add in Ontario right now, there is a pilot project going on until March 2023 that covers the cost of getting screened for celiac disease. We are the only province in Canada that doesn't cover the cost of this screening. So it's better to get the screening done sooner rather than later so that you can benefit from uh, being covered under this uh, pilot project. My uh, second tip would be if your child does receive a diagnosis of celiac disease, follow up with a registered dietitian who specializes in celiac disease care and who can help you with starting and maintaining the gluten-free diet. And then lastly, following the gluten-free diet can be tough, but there are resources out there to help like Sick Kids About Kids Health website and the Canadian Celiac Association. Thank you so much, Alyssa, for taking the time to chat with us about celiac disease and sharing all of your knowledge and research with us here on the Healthy Habits, Happy Homes podcast. Wonderful. Again, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I hope your listeners learned something new and have a greater awareness of celiac disease. We hope our listeners enjoy this episode and we'll see you next time. Bye.